My name is Wizzy Brown. And I'm Bryant McDowell. And I'm Molly Keck. And we're with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service Department of Entomology, and this is Bugs by the Yard, where we hope to increase your enthusiasm about bugs in the urban landscape. Welcome back to this episode of Bugs by the Yard. Today, we are going to give you a little bit more information on everyone's favorite swarm of insects that we'll see early in the spring, the crane flies. They are very temporary. I'll say they don't stick around very long. These are flies. They are related to the mosquitoes, the gnats, the midges. They're in that same suborder. I view those as the puny flies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have Guinea very delicate, yeah, puny flies, very delicate bodies. The crane flies are much larger than the other groups that I mentioned. Uh, some people will call them mosquito hawks or Texas mosquitoes. Everything's bigger in Texas, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when we say flies, flies are in the order Diptera, Diptera. So two wings, those two wings are used for flying. And then the other pair of wings that all the insects are going to have are reduced down into little nubs called haltiers. Um, and those are used for steering and locomotion. And do y'all know balance. of any other balance? Okay. Yeah. So As larvae, they've got a very well-developed head, uh, just like the mosquitoes. If you guys have ever seen any sort of small bird bath of water and you've got little things wriggling around in there. Now I'm comparing these to the other group of flies, things like blowflies and houseflies, which are more of like that robust maggot appearance with not really a, a head capsule. They live down in the soil. They stay there for a much longer period of time as larvae as they're developing. And then once they emerge, they kind of have this mass emergence right at the beginning of spring. They don't live too long. Their purpose as adults are really to just kind of mate. Most of them have vestigial mouth parts, so they're not feeding at all. They mate, they lay eggs, and then that generation is done. It's complicated to make an entire episode on crane flies. However, they are one of the most diverse groups of flies. So there's actually over 15,000 described species in over 500 genera. So a very, very diverse group, uh, different sizes. Could you imagine the taxonomist on that? I mean, it's like I feel bad for him because if you look at a crane fly, they all look the they same. do. They I do. do. And <laughs> just like 15,000 species. And they're not very pretty Robust. per se, but oh yeah, that too. But I mean, they're, they're just, I've only really seen them that kind of brown, like modeled brown yeah. look. Mm-hmm. And they always um, fall apart. Could you imagine oh, yes. trying to manage that collection? That's what I was thinking. The leg fell off again. Yeah. Uh huh. And then you would get docked points for an imperfect specimen. So heaven forbid. Wait, but they you wouldn't sneeze. take it out of your collection. Yeah, that's true. That's. But true. even if you were trying to identify them, if you were a taxonomist, you would be losing parts that you needed to count and to look at. You'd need like a lot of the same. Like how? Do, you know, right. I mean, Show me the holotype. I want to. That would be terrible. <laughs> So yeah, as I mentioned, the larval crane flies, they're going to hatch from eggs that are laid in damp soil. They continue their development in the soil. They feed on decaying plant tissue, typically. Some of them 
are carnivorous and other groups are actually known to damage the root systems of cereal and grass crops. But typically they're not viewed as, as really a pest. It's more of like a nuisance pest. If you maybe have like a stream or something, some damp soil or low lying ground in your backyard, you might have a particularly large influx of them at one time. But like I mentioned, they're not very persistent. They they do their thing for a couple of weeks and then they die off. I read that the larvae are sometimes called leather jackets because they have really tough outer exoskeletons compared to maggots that you typically think of as fly larvae. Mm. Is that maybe because to keep them from desiccating since they're not really in, they're not totally submerged in water most of the time, but like more like a puddle or like, like Brian said, a low lying area. So if that water goes away, they can still survive. I would imagine that slash their larvae are are feeding for a much longer period of time. Uh, mm-hmm. compared to those maggots that are developing. Don't they relive like what three, they could be a larvae up to three years. I think that, I read. I think, wow. Yeah. I think I did see that, which is insane. And then I'm an adult for like three days. Yeah. Right. You, you <laughs> gain wings to fly and then you die. One other name that I forgot to mention. I Have you ever heard people call them mayflies? I, I have not actually, I always hear people calling them mayflies, but they're definitely, they don't even look like mayflies. Oh, and no, I don't no, no. know why that is maybe because they are so short-lived or, or something or easy to kill. I don't know. I think people get them confused because the mayflies often come out in large swarms. Right. The adults right. don't live very long and it's kind of the same with the tapulids, but yeah. two different orders. Yeah. Some of those mayfly emergences, I, I'm sure if you've been online in the past five years, at some point you've seen people driving through these mass emergences of, of mayflies where it's just the road is like littered with bug guts. And it's kind of similar to the cricket apocalypse that we have here in in Texas every so often. I call them our Texas groundhogs because when they start coming out, that usually means it's gonna warm up and spring is around the corner. We need to, map out like a location and we can call it the, I don't know, Texas stand or something. I don't know. Some stupid instead of punks, a tawny film. We can, yeah. <laughs> we can do the crane fly. <laughs> yeah. The first, yeah, exactly. However many crane flies come out means that spring is around if within a certain time, spring is around the corner in that many days. Another name that I went, as I was kind of perusing like fact sheets and things about these guys. Some people call them daddy long legs too, because they have really super duper long legs. If somebody is listening and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about for a crane fly. They're these flying insects that have very, very long legs, pretty wimpy wings. If you touch them or grab one, you, those legs fall off pretty easily. You notice them at your porch lights at night and they scare the bejesus out of children, little children, cats and dogs, but they're completely harmless. I don't even think that they have functioning mouth parts as adults because their life is like we already said. Some of them do. Some species do. What do they eat? Some species will take water or nectar. Okay. But not all species have mouth parts and they do not bite. I, that's the other yeah. thing. People are like, they're giant mosquitoes and they're going to suck the life out of me. You can bink it with your finger and it'll fall into a thousand pieces. So they're, yeah, they're totally harmless. And they just kind of get sucked into your house when you open the door. And, and that's when the cat usually 
loses its mind over it. I think everybody has seen them if you've lived in Texas long enough. And I think they're all throughout Texas. They're not just in wetter parts of the state. We should ask somebody up in the panhandle that works with us if they see crane flies to know if that's true, but we can ask Pat next week. We can, we can ask Pat, but they're everywhere when it warms up during springtime. And you know, you've seen them, whether you know it or not, if you go outside warm day, you'll see them, but they, they don't bite. They don't transmit diseases. They're a great food source for animals, you know, birds, reptiles, other arthropods, that sort of thing. I mean, they're not going to get a ton of protein because they're kind of all legs, but you know, it's still food. I did read, and I thought this was kind of cool that if we have a year where we have drier soil, that the larvae can actually go dormant in the soil and they kind of go into not hibernation, but they just kind of like go dormant in the soil. And then they wait until we have a year where the spring is more of a wet soil kind of year. And then they'll emerge out. Is that technically diapause or estivation? Is that the other one that they'll go? I think it's estivation. Yeah. That one. Okay. Which is like, which is essentially if people are like, well, what does that mean? That's when they have literally no metabolic activity. They almost appear dead. Right. And then some environmental condition kickstarts it back. So they're just kind of waiting, which is different than diapause where they're just like hibernating and sleeping. Yeah. And it's also very common to find them already kind of paired up. You'll Mm -hmm. you'll have these two and they together. Yes. And they'll, they'll mate while flying. So you'll kind of see them dragging each other around and usually legless because they've been beat up by everything. We keep saying that they're a springtime thing, but they're around all year. I think you can even really see them when it's cold. If it's like a warm December or something, I think they're, I don't think they have one mass emergence. It's just that when the, when I think it's probably evening temperatures, when the evening temperatures are a certain warmth, then they all kind of start to wake up and move around. It's the insect that I always look for in the springtime. Like Molly said, it's like the groundhog of Texas. And I know I always look for it. And I was seeing them this year in January. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're recording this in February. And usually when I see them, we'll have like one more freeze that's major. And then we start warming up. So, you know, we, we're also coming out of the big freeze from last week. So I read a, um, I was reading an, a paper about them and their damage as a turf pest. So in Texas, they're not considered a pest in any way other than just being annoying, but up in the Western part of the country, I think it was California. Um, pro- I'm imagining probably Northern California where they have a whole lot more rain. They can actually be a pretty significant pest of, of turf because they feed on the roots and the crowns. But then I was also reading like, it's all cultural control, like take better care of your turf and your grass, and then they won't be uh, a major issue. Right. Yeah. Dethatch and mow properly and all that good. So essentially what we tell everybody to control grubs here in Texas. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think it's actually kind of a rare thing up there, but they actually, I think it was university of California's Riverside or whatever had, had a fact sheet about them that I had found, but I do notice them landing on turf. So 
you know, if someone's like Googling about crane flies and they are reading that it, it's not the same thing as what happens here and that they're probably just resting there. And even if they are laying their eggs, like with anything, if you keep healthy plants, including turf, then, then you should see very little insect able to cause damage. Yeah. Don't panic if you have crane flies, cause it's not going to eat everything. Yeah. It does scare people that are not from Texas. And I imagine they must be coming from a dry place that's colder maybe. Um, but every now and then I'll get people that'll eat, that'll email or, or call and be like, what is this thing? Cause it is like a giant mosquito. That's really what it does look like. They have a V shape on their thorax, right? Isn't that I how you that identify is. topiality? Yeah, I think that is something I was looking at that in like the tip of the abdomen. Oh, I found another funny name for him. Skeeter eater. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally a Texas. I was gonna, name. Yeah. That's a, something my grandma would say, <laughs> <laughs> but they yeah. don't. So that, yeah. So that's something to point out though. The two common names that they, one of the two common names they have mosquito hawk or skeeter eater, they don't eat mosquitoes. They don't, and they, they don't suck your blood. And they're also not beneficial because they eat mosquitoes. They're just there. They're just part of nature. I mean, their purpose is to be a food source pretty much. And then I guess his larvae helping to break down maybe dying roots or just kind of thin down that decomposing organic matter under turf and stuff. Yeah. It looks like mostly most of the species are like you mentioned, the feeding on that decomposing, they're not actively uh, foraging on like live root systems or anything. Those that are not pests, I should say, there's always exceptions, but what we have here in Texas aren't really doing any damage to your yards. I can't think of any fly. Isn't it true of all dipterans that they have to have either a fully aquatic or a semi-aquatic environment in order to complete their life cycle? So if, if that's true, I think that is true, then that would be the case for crane flies also. So during drier years, you may actually see less of them than you would in those wet, wetter years. You just have a lot of them. And I do know that like in San Antonio, I see so much fewer of them than we would, than I used to see in college station, because it was just a lot, there's a lot more moisture rainfall over in the Eastern part of the state. It doesn't necessarily have to be a rainfall area. If you're in uh, if you're in a neighborhood where you don't have watering restrictions and you water mm -hmm. your lawn a lot, then that can create that environment as well. And so you might have tons of crane flies because yeah. you're overwatering your lawn. That might be an interesting like little study to, I don't know how you would collect crane flies except put up lights and then watch and count them. But if you, you know, kind of went to different, I wonder if the, if your water uh, provider would be interested in that. If you went to different neighborhoods, if that would, if somehow you could correlate water usage with how many crane flies are caught in a neighborhood. I mean, totally useless study, but kind of fun idea. I'm looking up now for the aquatic larvae thing that you had mentioned, because don't some surfid flies, they're like active hunters in that. Oh, you're absolutely right. So that's not actually true. That's well, that's true. the only, but then I'm also trying to look up there's rat tailed maggots, which I thought were. They, yeah, those are surfid. I did my, my senior project at Ohio state was on surfid flies. Mm. So yeah, the rat tailed maggots are in anaerobic funk, nasty sewage, gross yeah. areas, but there, I've yeah. got an awesome video yeah. of rat tailed maggots from when we went to that place in San Antonio. 
I was just going to say, were you with me when we went to that natural park and all they had was a hole in the deep, deep down in the ground that you sat on to go to the bathroom? Yes. Because I was like, there's something moving down there. (laughs) (laughs) It was deep. Yes, it was very deep. And they were like, oh, it's it's all organic and it doesn't smell. And I was like, no, it does too smell. Something's wrong with your nose. Yep. They (laughs) like nasty stuff. The only other time that I've seen them are the landscaping in front of the heat building on on AM campus. You know how they'll build up that compost as like a volcano around yep. the base. So that filled up with water, but <gasps> it was like that composty, watery. Gross. Yeah. And so I was walking to class one day and of course I had Eppendorf tubes in my backpack and picked up some. <laughs> <laughs> and those of you who are wondering what's a rat-tailed maggot, um, exactly what it sounds like. Just a maggot with a very long tail like it's like a skinny tail like but it's actually a tube that they stick up out of the yeah. whatever they're in and they breathe, breathe through it like a siphon yeah but- so according to dr google i was looking at like some of the other mis unknown common names or misconception common names actually that they have or urban legends. I'm sorry about them. So kind of just like daddy long legs. And I think this is why, cause that's one of the things people confuse them with, but daddy long legs don't have wings um, that people will say that they're the most venomous insects in the world. I feel like people say that about all bugs, insects that are seem harmless. And then they make it up like, but they're actually the most venomous if they only had the ability to sting you or bite you or whatever. Um, so that's another kind of funny thing about them. These wouldn't even have venom glands. So there's exactly. no way that they do anything. <laughs> exactly. Or a stinger. If you really knew. I'm going to look really true. mean at you. <laughs> <laughs> They're, the meanness they can do is fly in your house and scare you. I can remember my girls would scream bloody murder at those things. Cause they're not fast flyers. They're really bad at flying. So they kind of like fall down and it, I guess it does seem like they're coming after you, but they're just not smart enough to get away from you. Yeah. They're very much, it, they're like a Roomba. They just kind of fly <laughs> until they hit something and then they change direction and fly again and hit something. That is a, a perfect example. <laughs> that was fantastic. Little insect Roomba. Alrighty. So that concludes our episode on crane flies. Hopefully you guys learned a little bit more about those pesky springtime critters that are going to be emerging. And also maybe you learned some information on other related insects and arthropods that may be confused for them. And we will catch you next time. Howdy to our listeners and fellow bug nerds. We want to take the time to tell you to check out our show notes on each episode and for more information and supplemental materials on the topics covered. Additionally, if you have any questions or recommendations for what you may want to learn more about, you can send us an email to www.bugsbytheyard at gmail.com. If you enjoy this content and would like to learn more about structural pests that may invade your home, check out our other podcasts, Unwanted Guests. Brought to you by Texas A&M University AgriLife Extension and the Department of Entomology. As always, please subscribe or follow the podcast feed to make sure you never miss an episode.